0: when we as rabbis think about what are we going to teach about Pesach at this time, right? it's a little different than what we might normally do about festival, about Hag, about this is the time of our celebration, a time of celebrating our liberation, a time of celebrating all of those things that make us free, springtime, rebirth, renewal, all of that wonderful stuff. And it kind of um, took... It sucks all the air out of our Pesach teachings to be in a quarantine situation where people can't be together. And there's a lot of grief and a lot of loss for people around not being able to celebrate Seder in the ways that we're used to being able to celebrate it. And and like this is like not how a normal mind thinks. My mind didn't go to, how do we mitigate that? My mind went to, you know, this sounds familiar eating Seder at our homes with death at the knocking at the door, right. that sounds familiar. Right. And right. so for me, it's like, rather than, okay, well, we still have this and we still have that. Not that of course we won't go there. Um, but my instinct was, you know, I don't want to do a generic Pesach teaching. I want to do a teaching about how we hold this moment, how we hold the reality of living through a plague uh, with the danger of a plague at our door which is causing us to celebrate Pesach differently, Passover differently than we normally do and has a lot of people in grief about that and the reason I want to because it's going to feel a little dark at the beginning of class so I don't want anyone to despair I want it to feel dark because I want us to get it that our idea of what Passover is, is lovely and fantastic and amazing and it's the highest participation we have in Jewish life, even more than Yom Kippur by the way the highest participation in Jewish life uh, outside of orthodoxy is in Passover. Like 90-something percent, a big 90-something percent celebrates Passover. So I'm not in any way denigrating how attached we are to our family saders and our community satyrs in any way. But we can't have them this year. So what I want to do is tie us back to the biblical experience of Passover Maybe so that we can reconstruct the idea of what Passover and gathering and being in this moment, um, because it feels so anxious and so uncertain and so disorienting, and how we might can hold that as also a legitimate Jewish experience of Passover. So that's where I'm going to start from. So it's going to feel a little dark at first, but that's okay because that's where we are, right? We're in that place of, uh, of it feels a little dark. All right. So first what I want to do is I want to walk us through the biblical text around the biblical explanation of the first Passover gathering where they ate the Paschal lamb, right? Where all of this comes from, not the Seder. The Seder is rabbinic. The Seder is based on a Roman meal, With lots of uh, appetizers, that's why we dip stuff and eat it, because that's what the Romans did. They had a lot of appetizers before the main meal. And so we do all this craziness, but that's not normal appetizers, so that our children should ask us questions. Why are you dipping a piece of parsley in salt water? That is not a normal uh, (laughs) appetizer. That is not a normal way to experience an appetizer at dinner. Um, and so we do all these crazy practices so that the children will ask questions. That's the whole point um, of a lot of these parts of the Seder. But the Seder was modeled on a Roman dinner. That's why we recline. Where it says free people recline, free Romans reclined when they ate a meal like this. They ate on the floor, on pillows, or on couches, on pillows. Um, you've all seen you know, the, the pictures or mosaics or whatever, frescoes. Um Of them eating, I'm not talking about the seder I'm talking about the original Passover meal. Where did that happen? That happened in Egypt. Mm. That happened when we were still slaves. That happened in this crazy moment between um absolute danger and liberation, absolute peril like mortal peril, and liberation. That's the moment of the original eating of the Paschal Lamb that we, you know, that we now carry forward in the idea of the Seder. I, as always, will you please read the text, and I will scroll through it for you.
1: The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall mark for you the beginning of the months. It shall be the first of the months of the year for you. Speak to the whole community of Israel and say that on the 10th of this month, each of them shall take a lamb to a family, a lamb to a household. But if the household is too small for a lamb, let him share one with a neighbor who dwells nearby. In in proportion to the number of persons, you should contribute for the lamb according to what each household will eat. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a yearly male. You may take it from the sh- uh, sheep or from the goats.
0: Okay, let's stop You're there for sure? a second. Let's stop there. So, so we just got—we're getting the description in Egypt of what's supposed to happen this night of the god Psaching, God jumping over. <laughs> what are we told that they are to take a lamb, that they're each household? Is to take a lamb it doesn't say get together 30 members of your community get as big a seder as you can fly people in from new jersey um it doesn't say that it says for each household this was meant the original passover meal was to be with one's family was household only and while I know all of us have households that are larger than who's going to be at the table this year, I do want to bring us back um, to the idea that this was originally what the practice, uh, not originally the practice, this, this was the, the first Passover, and the first Passover was each household will take a uh, lamb, right, and they will um, slaughter it. All right, and we get a description of how it's supposed to be. Go to verse 6, Bert, please.
1: You shall keep watch over it until the 14th day of of this month, and all the assembled congregation of the Israelites shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they are to eat it. They shall eat the flesh that same night. They shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or cooked in any way with water, but roast it, head, legs, and entrails over the fire. You shall not leave any of it over until morning. If any of it is left until morning, you shall burn it.
0: Okay. So what's happening this night, this Passover night, they have had this lamb in the backyard for three days. And so they're going to take that lamb and they are all going to slaughter it. So it, who, who saw Silence of the Lambs? And you can remember that, um, that the Silence of the Lambs is not exactly the point of the movie. The point of the movie is the screaming of the lambs, right? The, the screams that, the, that she remembers vis- viscerally from what it means to slaughter you know, the, the lambs. And so that's what's happening this night in in Israelite homes. That day is about slaughter. So they're dealing, in every Israelite home, they're slaughtering a lamb. So there's this, you know, I can imagine this bleeding screaming that, you know, is going on in the Israelite homes. So that's what's happening in their homes. They're to eat it roasted. They're to eat it with bitter herbs. So it's not supposed to be in nice, lovely, sweet sauce, right? They have this... uh, bitterness. It's supposed to be roasted. Um, And okay, now, how are we supposed to eat it, Bert?
1: This is how you shall eat it. Your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it hurriedly.
0: So, are you going to eat this in your, like, dressiest, loveliest silk outfit that you bought for the beginning of spring?
2: No. No.
0: You're gonna you're gonna eat this in your chacos uh, from Minnesota, right? So you know, and, and chaco your chaco sandals, which are your, the ones you're gonna trek out in wherever you're going. You're gonna wear your camping shorts that dry quickly when you wash them out. You're gonna wear your camping shirt, the things that wick away the moisture from your skin as you right hike. So this is not dressy. This is not formal in any way this is you are to wear the clothes that you would wear if you were starting a journey that was going to take a really long time and was going to get really dirty and really messy that's that's this night and I don't know about y'all but I have not been in dressy clothes or dressy shoes for a while now and certainly at Pesach at Seder I'm used to as you are dressing up and uh But I think, again, it's important to return to this is how the original first Passover meal uh, was to be eaten. It was to be eaten with your camping gear on your back. All right. Um, Because what's going to happen, Bert, go on.
1: Oh, and and quickly, hurriedly. not over. Uh,
0: We're going to look at that. We're going to look at that. You're to eat it fast. Like this is not a repast that the rabbis had around, you know, Uh, cushions on the floor and you're relaxing and it goes on till midnight Mm -mm. you're to eat this fast you put it in and get it in and right the idea is that because you're gonna get out you're going out right pharaoh's already ordered them to leave pharaoh said get out and it's god who says "Uh -uh. Uh uh-uh not yet i'm not ready pharaoh doesn't get to declare when you go i declare when you go And I say, you're going out by day. So the Israelites are trapped between the order of Pharaoh to get out or die. And God who's saying, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going to help you if you don't go when I tell you to. So this is not a night of comfort, right, for the Israelites. This is a night of being trapped between two powers that are hugely dangerous um, on either side. This is not a comfortable meal. This is eat it quickly, eat it hurriedly. Okay, go on.
1: For that night I will go through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And I will mete out punishments to all the gods of Egypt, I the Lord. And the blood on the houses where you are staying shall be a sign for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you so that no plague will destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt.
0: Okay, so the blood on the doorpost shall be a sign for you, for you, Israel, not for me, God. God doesn't need EPS. God knows where the Israelites are. It's a sign for you, for you, Israel. And when God sees that they have put the blood there, on what looks like the inside of the house, since the sign is for them, god will over that house and will not destroy who's in that house okay so that let's let's stop there and then i want to go to our source sheet if you have the source sheets so let's look at this let's look at this is now we're going back before the events of what just read i just wanted to remind us the, the quality of that meal and what that looked like. But we're going back before that. We're going to the instructions about all of that. Um, and so, Bert, read eleven four through 7, please.
1: Moses said, Thus says Jehoshaphat, Toward midnight I will go forth among the Egyptians, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the f- throne to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstones and all the firstborn of the cattle and there shall be a loud cry in all the land of Egypt such as never will never been or will ever be again but not a dog shall snarl at any of the Israelites a man or beast in order that you may know that YHWH makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel
0: okay so this night this night of eating this this pesach offering is, is not a pleasant night. Like, this is not a pleasant experience. Pharaoh's ordered them to go. God says, and Moses says, no, stay. And here's what you have to do. You have to eat a huge ribeye steak, baked potato with a side of roasted asparagus and whatever, and dessert and everything. You have to eat that knowing Pharaoh's telling you to get out of his country. Like... What that is, this is not a pleasant uh, experience. And what else is happening that night? So, the lambs have been slaughtered by the Israelites. And what else is going to happen at midnight?
2: All the firstborn die,
0: all the firstborn of Egypt will die from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne to the firstborn of the slave girl behind the millstones and all the animals too. So so all over Egypt, there's going to be incredible amounts of death happening, right? We think of pests as a festival of spring. This is not what Passover was. Passover was a night of terror. Passover was a night of being caught between all kinds of death. And destruction. So we're gonna look at Ellen Frankel uh, from her the five books of Miriam, the next text that you see. Uh, and she says, So um, w- like what's what's with the slave girl? Like, why put that in there? Obviously, the slave girl's kid's gonna die. What wow. Pharaoh would make more sense, you know, that the even royalty wasn't exempt. Why put the slave girl in there? And so Ellen Frankel in the five books of Miriam writes, with the final plague all of Egypt feels what it's like to be a slave girl who has no control over her own fate and with the death of every firstborn every Egyptian family knows what it's like to be crushed like dry grain between millstones Poor Egypt that so many should suffer because of one man's hardened hearts all right so why throw the slave girl reference in there right? Because she's never had control over her own fate. She's never had control over what her life looks like. And now all of Egypt is going to feel that every single household, right? So all of us in our usual comfort, in our usual sense of, okay, well, I'm not poor. I'm not a slave. I'm not something who has no control over my life. I have control, right? Like, I'm, at least for economic things, I, I'm, I'm not a slave. And, and nobody can tell me what to do with my free time, even if I'm poor. Um, so, But now every house in Egypt going to feel that. We now are being told that they are going to experience, all of them, what it feels like to be out of control, to not have control, and to, be, to know what it's like to be crushed like grain between millstones, right? So a couple of things I've written here as kind of just thoughts for us to think about. So how do we cope with feelings of being out of control right now, right? We we are like the slave girl. This is us. When it's talking to us saying all of Egypt now feels like the slave girl who has no control over her life. That's how a lot of us feel. And then how do we deal with feelings of fragility and vulnerability, like being crushed like grain? What 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 is it for us to hold at this moment that, like the slave girl, you know, we could be crushed at any moment by something that's invisible. And we just went to the grocery store, right? And we are very vulnerable in this moment, and we're all holding that. And can we face the way that we, because, and she's where she says, you know, that all of this suffering should happen because of one man's hardened heart, which is because he has the power to. So many things. We can roll our hearts, and that is contributing to this and other uh, plagues happening in our time. And I want to pause here and give us some time to answer. So, what do you think? Does does any of that resonate? What's happening? Those questions I just posed. What's what's happening for people? <laughs>
1: you think that the hardened heart of one man could hurt us.
0: <laughs> could <Can> you imagine? <laughs> could cause damage and destruction and. <laughs> and death and misery
1: Carol and I have been talking as we we talk a lot about this whole death of the firstborn oh God, God. <laughs> commanding that which doesn't sound very nice of God do I want you to defend God?
0: you want me to defend God?
1: Uh, no, <laughs> just what your take is you, you know you're
0: looking at the wrong person <laughs>
1: That's always been difficult for us at Seder is, you know, ha- how to get by that with kids. The death of the firstborn, all of a sudden, it sounds real horrible.
0: It is horrible. So- and, th- and that's what we often lose touch with is it is horrible, right? Certain kinds of freedom, and we're going to talk about this later in, this year, in the lesson, but certain kinds of liberation and freedom only happen after wanton destruction is invoked or caused and there's only there's no rash there's no rationality to it it's not the good firstborn were saved and the bad firstborn were slain right it's 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 all of them and we're going to look at a text in a second that talks about once the destroyers unleash it's it doesn't discriminate Um, And so, and that's what we're having to face with our children right now. Some of us, you know, a 16 year old that I have in my house, we have to think about and talk about like, how do we broach the the conversation with them around young folks dying? You know, she, we, she sees the news. She now knows that young people have died from COVID-19. And so, yeah, it's unpleasant and so, but it's one of the reasons I think it's really important for us to go back to the original story this year and talk about, right? The stuff that we normally avoid in the Haggadah and normally avoid uh, really spending a lot of time on because it's not so relevant for our story and our celebration of Passover and spring and rebirth and renewal and freedom and liberation. We don't like to go there, but that's, again, where we are this year. We are right. We've landed right in the middle of the death of fill-in-the-blank. It's not the firstborn, obviously, but the, the death of people with no reason, no logical reason. So, Amy, I have
3: I have a comment about what you were just saying. Um, today I was actually on a webinar with NRDC, Yeah. this environmental group, and that the head of the NRDC now is new, and she actually was the head of the um, EPA um before this, um before Trump got rid of her. But um what she was saying is this whole thing about this this about this virus that's going around is related to how we treat our environment. And part of that is one of the things that NRDC has been against has been this animal trade, which most people don't care about at all. And yet this is probably what started it. Right. So we have the hardened hearts with to the animal trade. All of a sudden, it's coming back to bite us. Right. That's
0: right. And the ways we're encroaching on wildlife territory and habitat, and and uh, devastating their habitat, so that there's more contact between wildlife and domesticated life. Um, and that's the other way that these viruses jump from bats and other you know kinds of animals where it doesn't do any harm, but if it has contact right, with uh, a chicken, let's say, and that chicken is slaughtered and eaten, now we have another kind of coronavirus. And we know there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of coronaviruses in wildlife that are fine when they're in wildlife. But once we start encroaching on their habitat and there's more, in, so they're forced out of their habitat closer to ours, like the bats are, the bats are suffering Huge loss of um, of habitat and right, like you said, the, the the exotic animal trade and all that stuff. So they're being slaughtered in these wet markets, which is really horrifying. When you when you look into wet markets, it's really horrifying. Um, but right, so like we've hardened our hearts in that. We've said doesn't affect me, doesn't matter to me. Well, guess what, people. like we're going to have to take stock a really hard look after this at what we think um, our hearts need to be turned to and what they don't. You're a hundred percent right, Barbara.
4: There are a few things that, that uh, I find myself thinking about too. I don't have a coherent uh, idea about it, but it seems that (laughs) of vengeance of, uh, murder of uh, aggression in general um, are part and parcel of this holiday, which is a holiday that uh, celebrates freedom Um, and uh, uh, something that uh, in some way doesn't directly, but perhaps indirectly uh, is has a great deal of difficulty in dealing with the uh, the, the murderous and aggressive uh, aspects of uh, human beings and of god
0: yeah, right, so leave it to our you know psychoanalyst to bring us back to our own our own propensity for murderous rage and like like our oh and of course what what is that quote that um God created us in God's image, and we return the favor. Right, like we create God in our image. So this story is not from God. We're we're progressive Jews. We don't believe this story is from anyone but us. This story was written by us. Right. We will God in our image. So Bert, when you turn to me and say, "Defend the fact that God like murders people who don't deserve to be murdered," I'd say, "Well, why did people write a story where that happens?" Because guess what? What we know. That's what we know. That's what we do. We do that. And God is created in our image because we wrote these stories. God destroys indiscriminately, kills indiscriminately, so do we. And I think this year is a time for us to really take seriously our our teaching about that. This is not just happiness and the rebirth of spring and renewal and rebirth. This is also confronting the fact that we made this story up because we have faced this reality over and over and over and over again as human beings because this is the reality we created and I think Mark's right we have to get in touch with and so is Barbara the ways we've hardened our heart and turned away from that doesn't matter to me the ways that we have murderous impulses and, and whatever that then lead us to support all kinds of, of death and killing in our name that, that we would never do if it were one on one
5: but if you put
0: it on the divine, right, it's away from you.
5: Somebody else trying to talk? I don't know exactly how to put it, but at least from our own, Bob's my personal experience, having been away for about 10 days, just before um, or while it was all breaking out, the whole um, issue of the coronavirus this year, um, and, and we – we came home and were immediately put into quarantine for fourteen days and we, we It took us two or three days to kind of look out around us around us as well as within us to say, "Well, how do we deal with that and and really what's going on and i don't know maybe because everybody at this point in time is really many so many people are personally involved in terms of being sick or loved ones dying and so forth, you you, you come to a pretty quick con- conclusion as to how it affects anybody or everybody. And it took us a, a day or two to, to really hit on really what it all meant. Just a day or two? Say again? I say just a day or two? We're still trying to figure- Well, but I mean, to, to re- let's put it this way, to realize that this was really going on and where we came from it wasn't so bad so we hadn't really focused on it too much until right. we had to leave and come home and we get here and i mean all hell is broken loose and we had to say oh you better pay attention to this and you know so
0: it didn't feel really real and didn't feel so immediate, and didn't feel like it was really happening. All of a sudden, is really happening. So that, that night for the Israelites,
2: mm-hmm. wait, what?
0: We're going to be freed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've heard about some movement by some crazy guy over this last year, yeah, there's been some blood in the river. Yeah, there's been more frogs than usual. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But like, blah, blah, blah. Let's go remember the plagues went on for about a year if you look at like naturally what would have progressed it's about a year so like yeah it's coming maybe it's coming not coming some people have it some people don't some people are lying and then all of a sudden boom it's real it's happening and it's happening now right now and danger right now so let's look at that. Let's look at the the danger uh, aspect of this. Exodus 12:22. Pam, if you're there, go ahead and read the English.
2: Okay. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and to the two doorposts. None of you shall go outside this door the door of this house until morning
0: okay, obviously the bolding is mine It does not appear in the Torah the bold <laughs> so um read the Bava Kama please on that
2: once permission has been given to the destroyer to do damage he does not discriminate between righteous and wicked
0: okay so the first Pesach the first Passover meal is happening with the Israelites in quarantine Mm -hmm. We don't really ever talk about that. Have you ever heard about that in the Haggadah? Have you ever heard about that at a Seder? I grew up in an Orthodox, traditional, majorly traditional Seder, all the way through gay and lesbian, la la, 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 Seder. I have never heard that they ate this in quarantine. They were on house arrest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that they wouldn't be... Uh, consumed by the destroyer because once permission has been given to the destroyer right to do damage says our uh, midrash the destroyer does not discriminate between righteous and wicked a virus does not discriminate between righteous and wicked between good and bad between worthy and unworthy there is no distinction the first Passover was eaten by the destroyer outside that did not discriminate between good people and bad people. We are in the exact same position, and we're not allowed to go out of the house. I find it amazing that these words are in the Torah. None of you are allowed to go outside the door of this house. Why? Because there's an invisible destroyer who once it's unleashed— doesn't discriminate.
5: So here we all are. Here we all are
0: back at the original Passover. <laughs> it's not a Roman feast. That is not the first Passover. It is them being in their homes because they were in quarantine. And I'm like, wow. Like I felt this kind of weird connection. And You all know me. You know what I think about these stories. You know that that, you know, of course I believe there's some – You know, some historical underpinning of something. But you know, I don't believe this to be history. This is our mythic history. I felt such a deep connection when I read that sentence. Such a deep resonance of our mythic history. We've done this before. When did we do it? Oh, yeah. Erev Pesach. The evening of Passover. We did this. We've done this before, thousands of years ago, because there was a destroyer, an invisible destroyer out there that doesn't discriminate. So we ate our original Passover meal in quarantine. That was like it blew me away. It just blew. It's just one of those like Jewish chill moments,
1: right? Like, mm-hmm. If only putting if only putting a little blood on our lintels would mm-hmm. keep coronavirus away. right um all
0: right so we we saw that thing about being crushed like grain right and this evening of eating in terror um and being like the slave girl who has no control over her own life uh so this is naomi reagan's words from consider this living in terror's long shadow linda Scheibel, i can see you do you want to read the english please
5: To live with terror is to wake up each morning and to feel that nothing belongs to you, your mate, your children, your life, the streets you walk through, the coffee shop you sit in with friends, the building which houses your office, your computer, your new stockings. Anything can be taken from you in the blink of an eye, destroy, ravage, turned into a rubble of torn, metal, flesh, fabric. And that it will happen without a trial, lawyers, jury, the right to appeal, you, yours, and all you ever thought was yours by birth, by right, by law, by simple human decency will be stolen from you by someone you never met, who doesn't even know your name, who will become your self appointed judge, jury executioner.
0: So what is she talking about here? Anybody wanna wager a guess what this is what this came from?
2: What she yeah. said. The destroyer and death.
0: Wait, any guesses as to what Passover she's talking about? World War Two. The bombing of the huge Seder in Israel in a hotel. Mm. Mm. Where everyone came to that Seder and, it, and a terrorist blew the whole thing up. This is the word she wrote immediately after she got out of there. And she wrote this down immediately her first impressions in her journal were these words. And I thought, wow, it's the same, like whether it's caused by a human being or caused by a virus or caused by anything, this is, it's not unknown to the Jewish people at Pesach, right? So one is to go back to the biblical Pesach, the original Pesach, and see the suffering and death and fear and terror that night. But also we've been targets on Pesach because we gather on Pesach. And so in this case, it was a huge explosion. It murdered a whole bunch of people on Arab Pesach. I'm sorry, I interrupted
1: somebody who was going to talk. I'm looking at Wikipedia. Yeah.
3: It, uh,
1: it was at a hotel in Latanya on the 27th of March 2002 during a Passover Seder.
0: Okay. So and it was a huge like thing, a huge Seder. So um, so this idea, but but the terror is the same whether it's the biblical Pesach. Or the blowing up in Natanya Pesach or COVID-19 coronavirus Pesach. I think her description is so apt, right, for the time that we're living in that you feel like nothing belongs to you anymore. Like mine, mine, mine. Like we've talked into our in Torah study and in Jewish meditation a lot together about mine. It's my house, my partner, my children, my career right? Mine, my, mine, 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 mine. And what this moment in time brings us to is guess what? Nothing ultimately ours, right? It, it will happen like this. And you will have no say over it. And that it will all be stolen from you is the moment we're living in. Right? I live with a 74 year old woman. It could be stolen. She could be stolen. My life could be stolen like that. And I know that we 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 know that all the time. We live with that all the time. But why is everyone so anxious in this moment? Because we know it might happen because I touched something by accident. Ellie got coughed on by somebody by accident. And the destroyer rages through our home and destroys everything we know and love and takes it from us. This moment of anxiety, this moment of fear, this moment of imbalance is all about I'm used to it belonging to me. And none of it belongs to me. And something could take it all like that. And we we know that existentially all the time, of course. And we try to stay aware and awake. But this moment is really about, I think, what she's describing so accurately. Like, that's what we're really afraid of, right? Even this doesn't belong to me. If I'm not here, how is it my book? (laughs) Right? so... Um anyway I, I found that a really profound uh, a really profound book. let's move on to the next text, text number six um, uh, uh, Pam, will you read the
2: English? In the middle of the night, youdha struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the cattle and Pharaoh arose in the night with all his courtiers and all the Egyptians because there was a loud cry in Egypt for there was no house where there was not someone dead.
0: Okay. So go on and read the next quote, please from Aviva Zorinberg.
2: God brought you out of Egypt by night. The night is indeed the time of redemption as the people hold fast to the words of their new master and stage a tableau of release, the tension inherent in such a scene is palpable, particularly if one bears in mind the shrieks that rend Egypt and that are heard from the interiors of the Israelites' houses, set in among the houses of death. To leave by day with hands high, this is the stuff of epic, but the night is another country. All right.
0: So the middle of the night is when the murder happens. You know, the death by plague, you know, the death of the firstborn happens. And we get from Torah, there's a loud cry in Egypt for there was no house in which there wasn't someone dead. And so then Aviva Zornberg, and it's in her commentary on this Parsha, on Parsha Bo, that she brings this quote from Deuteronomy, by the way. It's not her her, uh, commentary on Deuteronomy. Mm -hmm. So she says, God brought you out of Egypt by night. But wait a minute. What were we just told? They're supposed to stay and eat this meal at night. So they didn't go out at night. So, yes, the night is a kind of redemption, she's saying, as the people hold fast to a new master. They're leaving Pharaoh, but they've got a new master. Who's the new master? Exactly. So and so they're they're caught between Pharaoh as master and their new master in a tableau. So I think of a tableau of like something frozen. Mm-hmm. Right? Like mm-hmm. the tribals and all y'all who do that thing the art of the masters or whatever the heck it is. It's the pageant of the masters. So when they stage this tableau, and what makes it so amazing is you have a painting on the stage made up of real human beings frozen in place. That's the image of Eva Zornberg is bringing us, that the night of Passover is not a night of redemption. They are not free. They are caught between Pharaoh as master and God as master, and there's a tableau. Of their backpacks on, their chacos on, their hiking boots on, their walking stick in their hand. There's this tableau of release, but they're not going anywhere right now. That's the original Passover. And the tension inherent in that, she says, is palpable, right? All of us are ready to leave our homes and go back to our lives after COVID-19. Guess what? Like... We're in a tableau of, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go to TJ Maxx. (laughs) I'm ready to go to Great Tourist Study. I'm ready to go. Like, I'm ready. And we can't go. We're being held in a tableau of release. And the tension in that, that we're celebrating freedom and liberation as we're locked in our homes. For me, this is a really poignant statement about the moment we're in right now. Yeah. And um, and then there are shrieks all around us, right? Of those who are dying, like of the plague. So not only are we stuck, we're dealing with. How many of you watch CNN a little bit compulsively sometimes,
3: <laughs>
0: to look at the numbers, to look at the overwhelm in these hospitals, to look at what's actually happening? Because I don't want to turn away from it. I don't want to obsess with it, but I don't want to turn away from it. And I'm kind of drawn compulsively to the numbers. And I know the numbers are nothing because we have no testing. So the numbers mean nothing. But as those numbers of dead rise, like I want to watch every single time the single digit changes so I don't take for granted one life that was lost. And and so it's like this moment of people around us are dying, right? The Israelite homes are set among the houses of the Egyptians. So those of us who are well We know our homes are set inside this night of Pesach among the houses where there are sick and where there are dying and people are dying alone because their families can't be with them and nobody can have visitors. Right. So it's an, I think Aviva's uh, comments are really, they really touched something in me this year. All right. Anything anyone wants to say about that before we go on?
1: I just want to say I've always been struck by the fact of putting the blood on the lintels. That it was a statement that people were making uh, that showed who they were and that they, and then maybe it was obvious that they were Jews, that they were Israelites and slaves. But when we lived in Moscow, there was the whole issue you put a mezuzah outside your apartment.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: right do you mark your doorpost right right And that, lives here right and part of what was being said here is that the act of declaring yourself somehow led Save to life you. and yeah. saved you
0: yeah yeah for sure alright so I, I, I'll go through this quickly because I want to get to the, the other stuff because I know it's 8 o'clock um and I'm not sure if I said it was seven to eight thirty or seven to eight. I don't know, but whatever. Um, it's going to be. What it's going to be. But um, so Exodus twelve eleven is now on your screen. This is how you shall eat it. This is from Torah, which we read earlier. Your lo- loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it hurriedly. It is a Passover offering to Yudhei B'afay. Okay, what's the word hurriedly? The word is bechipazon. The fourth word from the end of that sentence in Hebrew. Oh. If you read Hebrew, it says "bechipazon," right? "Bechipazon pesach huladonai." How will you eat? it? bechipazon." You will eat it in chipazon. And so um, Aviva Zornberg again uh, says the manner in which they are to eat of the so far unnamed sacrifice. It's not named in, until here. Um, is Bechipazon, in haste. But the word, as translated by the Targum, some earlier commentaries, and by Rashi, has connotations of panic. They use the word behala of disorientation. There is a total lack of control in this meal. So again, I think we, it's hard right now. We are, we're in panic we're in disorientation and we're like this is not Pesach, this is not how you do Passover, well guess what yeah that's exactly how they did the first Passover, that's how they did the first Pesach, is which gets translated by our uh, sages as in panic and in a sense of disorientation so while it's not what we know and it's not what we want it is pretty original to the uh, experience of, uh, of Pesach, the original Pesach. Okay. So now I want to move into texts that are a little bit about moving us uh, out of some of so Let's go to Afikomen this year. Text number 12. Is somebody who's participating ready to uh, read the English of Afikomen this
4: year? On Seder night, we hide and then seek the Afikomen reuniting the two parts separated at the beginning of the Seder. May we learn to discover the lost parts of ourselves, to become reconciled with relatives who have become distant and who find wholeness in the Jewish tradition from which we have become alienated.
0: Okay, thank you. So this is from the Shalom Hartman Institute's uh, Haggadah called A Different Night. And so it's talking about Afikomen. So I'm just trying to give you ideas if you're doing your own Seder this year, some ideas about how to bring the symbols of Pesach and the actual Seder that the rabbis developed into uh, resonance with what's happening for us. And for me, this one was amazing. Uh, on Seder night, we hide and then seek the Afikomen, right? So something's been split off, and then we, we reunite it. We can't finish the Seder until we eat of the Afikomen, bringing back what we've split off. So, may we learn to discover the lost parts of ourselves, well, sure that's every year, we can use this every year in that sense, um, and to become reconciled with relatives, and I would put in here everybody else in the universe outside of our house, who have become distant, and to find wholeness in a Jewish tradition, from which we frankly have become a little alienated, a lot of us, that's, without that sentence. So. Um, for me, Afi Comen this year is gonna be about being aware of not only the parts of myself that I split off, because I'm proud of them. I'm embarrassed by them, I'm ashamed I feel a lot of shame about them, a lot of judgment about them, whatever. That's always been really important to me about Afikoman, is we go find the split off part and bring it back. Um, and I don't wanna lose that. I think that's really important. But also, this year it's like maybe you learn, you know, to become reconciled with the people that we've been distanced from. Is there a way that I'm going to come back together once the Afikomen can actually come back into our lives, the split off people from us? Like, what, how will I do something differently? Will I appreciate them differently? Will I really bring an awareness to our relationship and our contact and our ways of being together? Will I bring something different after this quarantine? I hope so, right? Um, and so for me, that's uh, a really lovely thing about Achikomen, as we've been distanced, we've been split off from each other, and uh, may we may we find wholeness when we come back together in a different kind of way than we have till now. Text number thirteen, Kose Eliyahu. Who wants to read that in English?
2: Now the Seder focuses on the hope for the future redemption symbolized by Eliy- Elijah. Elijah, what's with me, Elijah the prophet, bearer of good news. In Egypt, the door of the house were shut tight on the night of the 10th plague. Blood marked the lintels of the doorpost where we now place the mezuzah. However, in the contemporary Seder, the doors are opened wide in expectation. There is no longer a night of terror, but the dawn of hope. It is, as the Torah calls it, a night of watching in expectation of great changes for the better.
0: And so here, I want to make it aspirational for us, right? This text is about what we do every Seder. Um, this, this is a different night. Like, it's, it's ironic, that's the name of the Haggadah, a different night. This is a different, different night, right? This is, this is a night that's different from the different nights we normally do. <laughs> um, but I love this idea that Kos Eliyahu this year can be, we need to find ways, to, we need to find ways to leave um yes, there is death and destruction and our doors been closed. Uh, and we've been in quarantine and so our doors have all been closed. Uh and there's blood on the lintels, even more for the Israelites. There's blood not to remind them of what's going on. But um our doors were supposed to open wide when it comes to the coast of Eliyahu, the cup of Elijah. We're supposed to throw the doors open and invite anyone in and you know and uh 'Cause it's now no longer a night of terror but a dawn of hope. And so it's been a Passover of terror, a quarantine of terror in many ways. And that it is our job to open the door to Eliyahu, to open the door to redemption. And so what I what I'm gonna do, I think for me and my family, is once we've gotten some kind of an all clear, I don't know what that looks like, I'm gonna come back to the Coast Eliyahu. I'm coming back to the Cup of Elijah when we get the all clear. Um, and I want to make some kind of braha at the open door that we say at Haggadah, in the Haggadah, and the telling of our story and the evocation of our um, prophets and our symbols. <laughs> I want to do a Kos Eliyahu kind of moment uh, when we get the all clear that is about this exactly, that we've had to shut the door even past the end of the Seder, even past when you do Kos Eliyahu. We, we can't open the door yet. It's still a night of terror. There's still death and destruction out there. Um, and so I really want to find a way for us to reconstruct this idea that we can maybe delay a little bit the Kosa Eliyahu. And we can do it at our Seder, but I would also, because we want to have hope of redemption and hope of opening the door and affirm that and trust that that will happen, of course. All pandemics pass. Um, and, but I, I think I want to find a way to reconstruct a ritual maybe around, once this is over, how to make Kos Eliyahu um, something that we we bring to that moment. All right, um, we're almost done. Uh, Yeah, 14. We begin counting the Omer on the second night of Pesach. So um, somebody want to read in English?
5: Uh, On the second night of Pesach, we begin counting the 50 days from the Exodus to Sinai, from Pesach, the harvest of barley, to Shavuot, the harvest of wheat. Traditionally, the rabbis interpret the counting as reflecting Israel's eager anticipation of the giving of the Torah at Sinai on Shavuot. The physical liberation is not an end in itself, but must be wedded to a life of values and responsibility. What will have changed for us that we will take into life after quarantine?
0: Thank you. So again, from a different night, the Hartman uh, Haggadah, I um, want to bring this thought about counting the Omer is about saying, okay, we're going to start counting the second night of Pesach. And we're to, so liberation moves from liberation all the way through counting the Omer standing at Sinai at Shavuot. We we know this, right? We mm-hmm. count the Omer from Pesach to Shavuot. Mm-hmm. The Omer stops at Revelation at Shavuot. And that's kind of the purpose of liberation. And so what for me this year, I want to really think about, and all of us to think about, is that the physical liberation is not an end to itself, but must be wedded to a life of values and responsibility. Just getting out of our houses and back to our lives, what was the first thing I said I wanted to get back to? TJ Maxx. Is that really how I want to live my life on the other side of quarantine? Is that I want to go back to how it was before quarantine? My hope is that no, that just just being liberated to go do what we were doing before is not the point. The point is to bring some reflection to that this quarantine should be not just about um, we we are physically liberated and then we can go back to our idolatry, go back to our whatever, but rather like our freedom once we're out of here, once we can come back together should be about, it should be wedded to a life of values and responsibility. I'm hoping this experience shifts our understanding of our relationship to values and responsibility. And, and then I want us to really talk about that. And I want your help in helping me think through how we can do that as a community. I don't want this to end when this is over and say, okay, that was, that was horrible. Oh my gosh, it was terrible. Now we're back. Let's just rock and roll. I do want to rock and roll because y'all are in a place where rock and rolling is about connecting to values and whatever. But I also, I also want to give us the space in the room and construct ways that we can really talk about. What do we need to change about how we're doing stuff? What do we want to shift? What do we want to remain permanently? Right. A, A part of our awareness, a part of our appreciation, a part of our practice. Like for us, I think there's going to be a lot more online from now on from KI. I don't think we're coming back from that. Mm-hmm. We've reached four to seven of y'all at Torah study. Like I said, why shouldn't I have zoom on all the time for Torah study? Right? Like y'all are in the room. I hope you still will come physically. <laughs> um, but cause otherwise like I can't do this. Um, but w- why not have zoom on for people who can't get there? Uh, so anyway, and recorded. And blah, blah, blah. So, um, anyway, I just, I think this is an important thing too that, that 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 redemption happens when we tie our liberation to the point of liberation. Liberation is not just yay we're out of the house, yay we get to go back to how it was. Liberation is about true redemption is about accepting a, a, a real commitment and tie to values and uh, and responsibility. All right, two more. We're almost done. Two more. Parshat Bo, because I think this is
1: really important. 15, who wants to read 15? Parshat Bo reminds us that darkness is also the incubator of hope, the place where redemption is born. In Egypt, the Jewish people became a nation. We are conceived in the darkness of bondage and delivered in the middle of God's eternal night of vigil. This ancient poem from the Passover Haggadah recounts our story of miracles fashioned amidst the darkness Unto God let praise be brought for the wonders God has wrought at the solemn hour of midnight.
0: We can just leave that there. You can just sit with that in your homes, in your world, right? Darkness is the incubator of hope, the place where redemption is born. Right? We become a nation there. We're conceived in darkness as is every living thing. Every living thing is conceived in darkness in the middle right of this for our mythic uh birth as a people it's in the middle of god's eternal like vigil that night so it's just i just thought that was a lovely thing to remember um that we are fashioned all of us in darkness and we shouldn't think that things aren't, aren't being fashioned right now in this darkness in this time where we're like this is horrible terrible of course it is and there are things being fashioned here, and there are ways that we will be reborn on the other side of this. And, um, and it's something that we have to remember. The gestation takes time. Things grow in the darkness, and then it gets really tight, and it gets too tight, and they, and they push forward, they push out, but, but all birth begins uh, in the darkness, the waiting of the gestation, and we're in kind of this horrible, dark time, but also it's a womb it's a wound where we're generating other kinds of stuff, different relationships to ourselves, different relationship to community, showing up online, showing up in other ways, calling people, calling old friends. Like we're, there's things being gestated as well. And I don't want to lose sight of the ways that this is also giving us time uh, in the darkness to, to grow some stuff. All right. sixteen, The last one. I know that even as matzah is the bread of affliction, it is also the bread of redemption, for it holds out the promise that, like our ancestors, we can anticipate the exhilaration of spiritual freedom even in the midst of physical bondage. As we sit together each year at the Seder table and recite these words which link us to every generation, we can draw strength from one another to relive the past, to be here in the present, and to make our way into the future. Somehow, this helps to turn the night of waiting into a time of gathering strength for what for whatever lies ahead. In one way or another, I know that I will be standing there at Sinai. All right, I, I'm going to wait. I'm going to comment last. Everyone else comment first on that. What do you think about that? Matzah, the bread of affliction, is also the bread of redemption. It holds the promise, right? That we anticipate the exhilaration of spiritual freedom, even in the midst of physical bondage. Talk to me about that, people.
1: I think that that's the place of hope in the darkness and that affliction and uh, redemption in a sense are two sides of the same coin and that, you know, there's that old thing what doesn't, uh, what is it? What doesn't, what doesn't kill you will make you stronger which you hate because you'd rather. <laughs> but uh, I was I, I was thinking about this that we have an opportunity here. We're being shaken up, if you want, in religious terms. You know, God is telling us how fragile we are, how fragile this life is, how fragile this planet is, and the real question is: Will we learn from it? Well, as you were saying, will we move ahead? Or will we just come back to T.J. Mack?
5: Not only do we learn from it, or hopefully we learn from it ourselves as it affects us, but if um, they're with members of your family or or other people, if by bonding together and and learning from each other, it should take us out of the darkness, um, help us move out of the darkness to... Begin anew on the other side.
3: Also, what I was thinking is, it's this is the whole world, and right. so it's we all affect everybody else, and so that's this brings it home more than anything else has, um, that what we do affects somebody else, somewhere far away that who we don't even know.
0: Right. Master Shapiro, you, you, want, you just chatted uh, to us about that. Let me read what he said. He said uh-huh. to me, "It means that it, uh, this is an opportunity that an opportunity needs to be grabbed before it disappears. It is time to be sensitive, right? That we have an opportunity." He's right. We have an opportunity to like seize right now a commitment to seeing things differently when we get on the other side of this. Or he's right. Like I- I'm afraid it's going to be lost. Um, and we're getting smacked again, people. We're getting smacked again in the fall, for sure.
5: Oh, absolutely.
0: Um, but but, uh, but I just feel like uh, if we don't use this to our benefit, this tableau of being frozen and wanting to go and the danger outside, but I love Zornberg, and the sheep, you know, the lambs being slaughtered. Like, if we don't hold all that at this time and then figure out what that means, we have to seize the moment is lost. And so, um, anyone else? Like, where are we? Like, I we just like had a whole like sure there, a whole we'll lesson. What's happening for y'all?
4: You know, at the end of *The Tempest*, Shakespeare has Prospero say, mm-hmm. "I acknowledge this thing of darkness mine." Just as Prospero is moving from alienation and hatred to the capacity for love, and to be together with the others.
0: So uh, I really want us to try to hold this Pesach as um, one where we can completely grieve that it's not how we do it. This is not how we do Pesach. But what if we were to just kind of play a little bit in the arena of the story of this is what it was for our ancestors. This is, this is, This is the moment, this is the night, this is how they did that Pesach. So it's not how we do it. And I'm not trying to diminish the grief of that at all, the loss of that at all. But we are where we are. So we can reconstruct it. We are where we are. We're stuck, we're alone. There's three of us in this house, one of whom would rather be anywhere than at the Seder table, right? Anywhere. The second of whom has no Jewish memories of Passover at all. So there's me who loves Seder. Like I'm the only one in my house of three. So now we're gonna be a house of who knows how many when we do our Zoom uh Seder. But um but I wanna try to get in touch with you know what, there's always been a sadness for me that that we haven't attached to those um larger, broader
2: narratives.
0: My daughter doesn't know her grandparents. She hasn't known her grandparents. Judy didn't grow up with any traditions around this. So there's no Jewish family to go to for us. Like we always find a way to make it meaningful. But like what, what I want to really have us remember in this moment also is that this is the original Pesach, not what we put on it. Not all the stuff the rabbis put on it of seder and and appetizers and courses and reclining and four cups of wine. That was not the original Pesach. And so all we can do, given that we are going to have to leave our experiences of family and loving, and I love seder. Growing up, I was around the family table. We had a huge, like, multi-generational spread around the table. That's how I grew up, sunburned in a new scratchy, lacy dress. Uh, sitting through hours and hours and hours of my Orthodox grandfather, like taking us—he read the Hebrew. We had to read the English of the entire Haggadah. So it's like, but I love those memories. It's not—it's not, it's not going to be our experiences here. So I guess what I want us to do is try to think. Then can we reconstruct um, the moment to say this was the original Pesach experience, not what we all remember of lollipops and what are those horrible chewy things, those half pieces of fruit, those horrible chewy candies that mm. people, like so, um, and how big a fluffy cake can you make not using flour, just using matzah meal? Like the competition between the women baking on Pesach so that we shouldn't have leavened bread, but we should have huge cakes made of matzah meal, right? Uh, the crazy, like, There's a part of me that's like, you know what, this could be a really helpful corrective for the Jews about what Pesach really was and what it was supposed to be and what it was supposed to communicate to us, that there's death and destruction out there, and we can't control it, and it's terrifying, and that's real, and that's real for a lot of people a lot of the time. That's why we're supposed to do this, because slavery is real, right Oppression is real for a lot of people a lot of the time, and we're supposed to align ourselves with them at Pesach. But guess what? There's another level, disease, like the invisible destroyer that, that, that is out there that we don't really, we've hard, kind of hardened our hearts to wanting to hear about. So I think there's something to learn from having Passover this year, be kind of grim and be a loss and be a real confrontation. We always confront slavery. We always confront oppression on Pesach. And we're very proud of that as progressive Jews, by the way. We're very proud of that. COVID-19 has introduced another level of hard into our you know, needing to um, embrace like the reality of what it means that other people are living in all kinds of devastation that exposed them to all kinds of harm that we just don't pay a lot of attention to the rest of the year. Okay. I'm going to stop talking because I know I've been talking um, a lot. I see something in the chat box that I want to make sure that it's not Master Shapiro um, who doesn't have a mic. Uh, Judith to everyone. My Judith says my mic and video isn't working, but I am so impressed that the entire world is experiencing this and that we must be sensitive to how we react and how differently we will reflect and live after this time. It takes us back to the different types of children or the four sons, which we see in the Haggadah, of course, which I feel speaks to the different kinds of people and their different ways of experiencing life and this crisis. So um, I so appreciate that you all showed up. I so appreciate that you chose to spend um, an hour and a half of your evening with us talking about this. Uh, And um, let's just take a moment to be together and make a prayer for healing because I just feel like I need to end everything right now with a prayer for healing. May the Holy One blessing who blessed our forefathers and our foremothers, may that same source of strength, courage, grit, determination, hope, patience and humor. Be with those who are ill or are recovering from illness who we name now. May those we've named and anyone we name in our hearts and anyone present who needs it, may they know a rifuata nefesh, a rifuata guf, a full and speedy healing, healing both of body and of spirit. Then Omar, and we say together,
3: Amen. Amen.